Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your coordination and sound. View to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like This is the Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Hi, I'm Taylor Camille, senior producer at Well and Good, and in today's episode of the pod, we are talking about friends, why we need them, how we show up for them, how we make new ones, all while nourishing our existing ones, and pile on a pandemic on top of that. It's really, really tough. I personally am missing the meet cue moments that help you make friends in adult life. I've not even met any of my coworkers because we're doing all of this virtually. I used to make friends from friends of friends. We'd go out to eat or you'd see them at a kickback and soon you're hanging out together. I think of a friend I met at a taco truck in Los Angeles after a Lauryn Hill concert. We still text to this day. The most recent meet cute I can think of is literally an almost misconnection with my friend Rachel, who I met at a rock climbing gym. And had her boyfriend not forgotten something, we would have never exchanged numbers. Rachel is one of the last meet cutes I can remember, and also one of my numbered friends left in Harlem, my chosen neighborhood. But according to someone who has a very sweet meet cute, it's like we have a good story to tell, and it's fun. We like telling it together. But it is not essential to friendship. What is essential to friendship is building that kind of bond with someone. That's Aminatuso. It's less about does your story conform to a meet-cute narrative, and it's more about like what does it feel like when you tell the story of your friendship to each other and to the world. And that's Anne Friedman. Aminatu and Anne co-host the Call Your Girlfriend podcast. They've written a book called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. And it all started... Oh man, we met in one of the best ways you can meet. A friend set us up. We were really lucky that our friend Dio thought that the two of us would be good friends. And more than telling us that we should be friends, she actually engineered the meeting, which, you know, is going one step beyond. And she invited both of us to watch a television show that was really popular at the time at her house. Um, Remember appointment television? You had to like watch TV on that night because we did not have the devices to record things. But anyway, yeah, I went to the TV party and I really liked Anne. She was really funny. She was stylish. You know, she was the person that I was there to meet. So uh, 
I guess it really worked out. Yeah. And do you have anything to add? Is Aminatu's version of this story uh, factual? I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is absolutely. Please fact check the meat cute. Please fact check the meat cute. Did it happen this way? Wouldn't it be funny if after all these years of like talking about this on the podcast and literally writing a book about our friendship and doing all these interviews about our friendship, I was like, today, hold up. I actually am going to dispute this account and disagree with you. <laughs> do you, do you, like, I'm the fact checker. Do you agree that you were charming that night? Do you agree that your outfit was bomb? Or is can, it in dispute that your lipstick we, was gorgeous? Can we ever really know the the extent of our own <laughs> charm? I, I will attest to your charm and uh, and wit and, like, perfect television watching banter. Like, that is true. And also just, you know, like, I, I'm not going to, like, hate on DC or even, like, hate on being in your 20s. But I do think that, like, we were both in a phase of life where we were kind of searching or, like, maybe not quite as fully formed as we are right now. And I think that when I think about meeting you, I think about just, like, the sheer excitement of, like, I want to go where she's going. Like, I really, whatever it is that I'm, like, sensing from this brief interaction, like, um, I want to invite more of that energy into my life, which is not a phrase we used back then, <laughs> but it's certainly how I feel about it Wow, <laughs> moves to L.A. once, moves to L.A. once, and now you're, like, energy worker. Okay. <laughs> 10 years ago, 10 years ago, okay. <laughs> and 10 years ago, Anne moved west, and her friendship with Aminatu had to adapt to a long-distance reality, something many of us can resonate with, especially now having experienced the pandemic, that made even the friends that are physically closest to us feel far. And if you're like me, many of my friends did end up packing up, moving away, closer to family or just out of the city, but there are people like friendship coach Danielle Baird-Jackson to help us navigate how to fill the friend void. When I do tell people I'm a friendship coach, you know, you kind of get that response that's like, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, I know. Um, but these days, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. You can get a coach for virtually anything. I just saw something in the New York Times about, you know, somebody who got a sleep coach and there's, you know, technology coaches if you want to break away from your phone. So whatever area you're struggling in, thankfully, you can get support in any of those arenas. Friendship coaching looks like typically uh, a one-hour session or a series of them where we're checking in to help you with a certain goal. So let's say you move to a new city during a pandemic and you're like, I have no idea how to meet people, how to get things started, and I'm really feeling the impact of that, then you could bring me on and I can help you do that. I'm coming into where you are right now and you're telling me where you want to be and we are talking action steps. Talking to Danielle made me feel incredibly less intimidated. Living in Harlem alone is a privilege, but in a pandemic, it can be so incredibly isolating trying to figure out who is your pod when so many friends live quote-unquote far away in Brooklyn or New Jersey or elsewhere. I've had lots of friends in many a place. I've lived in both Los Angeles and on the East Coast full-time and have managed those existing friendships. But I thought it was time to foster new friendships considering, you know, who can I count on if I'm feeling under the weather or who can I go on a midday walk with um, and kind of just debrief with? I think I've been so focused, though, on friendships rather than just the entry point to friendship, which is meeting new people. We are using the phrase meet new people with 
make new friends. And the two are not the same. So a lot of us are like, I need to make new friends. But who said you have to start that from scratch with brand new people? A lot of us are overlooking friends of friends that we have, uh, uh, ties that we've already established. But for whatever reason, we've dismissed them as not being contenders for friendship. You know, is it about connection or friendships? Because a lot of us are just missing connection. I think we have that idea of a person being like, she's a freaking weirdo and I'm never talking to her again, but most people are happy that you reached out first. I'm definitely one of those people that gets in my head about making the first move. And I'm also one of those people that sleeps on existing ties. And I lament that when I had the opportunity in real life to turn some of those acquaintances into real friends, I didn't take the chance. You know, you're at a party or you've seen them a couple times. They're not your close friend, but you share mutuals. So it's kind of an easy connection. But, you know, in this time, whether we're tapping friends of friends or seeking new leads or sliding in DMs, another place where connections are being made and where reaching out first pays off are on apps like Bumble. We only evolved the Bumble BFF function because we noticed that folks were hacking Bumble Date, essentially, starting not long after we launched. We would see that our, our community were writing on their profiles, hey, I'm not here to date, I'm just looking for friends. So we knew that there was a real market for it. That's Claire O'Connor, head of editorial content at Bumble, a place I have frequented for dating, not friendship. There's not that stigma at all about online dating. And I hope we get there with friend finding online. And really that's um, what Bumble BFF is all about. There are some similarities between how you cultivate a friendship online versus cultivating a, a romantic relationship online. But I think, you know, there are definitely different ways that you can signal what you're interested in. Whereas, you know, if you're using Bumble Date, you might be looking for something casual, something long-term on Bumble BFF that's more like, do I want an activity partner? Do I want someone to do yoga with? Do I want someone to learn macrame with? What we've really found also is that folks using Bumble BFF are different kind of life stages. And we're really just hoping that it comes a time where there is absolutely zero stigma to doing that online and on Bumble BFF. I hear what everyone's saying, but I personally am still in pursuit of the meet cute. I asked Aminatu and Anne if they would ever hop on the apps. I think everyone's thinking about now is like, you're isolated. There's really not a lot of ops for meet cutes, except for like, we met on a Zoom maybe, or like we, I don't know, we were <laughs> in line to get COVID tested. I don't know. There's not really opportunities for meet cutes, but there's spaces like apps. I wondered if either of you would ever go to an app to find a friend, or is that something you'd rule out? Dismissing the meeting someone in line for a COVID test. I'm like, I have made a friend in line for the COVID test, and I um. I'm really looking forward to our walk next week, you know? Um, I I just think that there's so many ways to meet people. I, I am not dismissive of technology at all. I've made some of my closest friends on the internet, like people that I had never met before. And, you know, it's like we were blogging together or we were writing or we were reading the same things or, we, you know, like we found each other on Twitter and they're now very close friends. There should be no shame associated with saying like, I'm in the market for some new friends right now in the same way there's no shame mm -hmm. in being like, I'm dating, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're like, I'm dating friends right now. It's cool. Totally. I am entertaining applicants to be my friend. <laughs> yeah. Like you're both correct in saying that there are limited opportunities for meeting people. But I think that because the opportunities are limited doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It is a lot of work and it is really vulnerable and it's really hard. But even in a global once in a lifetime pandemic, 
there are people to meet and you meet them in the weirdest way and talk about a good meet cute like we met in a pandemic, <laughs> but it's possible. We noticed that during the week ending May 1st of last year in the U.S. alone, there was something like a 70% increase in video calls in the Bumble app itself. We have a video chat and voice call feature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also saw that the average time of uh, these video calls was something like 30 minutes, which is a long call. If it's just someone you've met recently on an app, that's quite yeah. a long time. I don't speak to my mother for half an hour at a time. <laughs> you know, part of my hesitancy maybe for getting on an app is like, and maybe this is the storyteller and me, but I pine for these moments of like a good story. Like we met so cute. <laughs> what are some of those meet cute moments that can happen digitally? And maybe we can still have a good story out of them. Story that I read recently that I thought was really touching and gave me some real Emily in Paris vibes. Um, <laughs> was um, A young American woman from the Midwest moved to Paris. You know, she met some expat friends, but she was uh, wanting to be really intentional. She missed home. She wanted to chat with an American or make American friends. Um, And she had some British expat friends who guided her to Bumblebee FF. And she met someone who was also from the Midwest. And I think if you're young and living away, far away from home for the first time, that is just the perfect, you know, perfect example of when it would make sense to get on an app like Bumblebee FF. And they had all these things in common, but now together they can explore this new city and, you know, share this new part of their life together. It's been sort of drummed into us from years of watching romantic comedies and sitcoms that, you know, the mute cute is something that's completely serendipitous and it can't be prearranged. But I think the story of two Midwestern girls, you know, moving to Paris, meeting on an app, becoming besties, that's a meet cute. It's just a modern meet cute. You yeah. can still have your moment. More and more we're seeing folks thinking, you know what, (laughs) if in the before times I wouldn't have necessarily been inclined to open an app to look for friendship, right now I'm opening an app or my computer for everything else. You know, we are living digitally. So I think there's a, a level of comfort that we're seeing. So I think we'll be hearing a lot more of these very touching stories very soon. What do you say to those... People who claim that th- these years are the years of no new friends. Oh, I hope people don't say that. It's <laughs> what was that? That was was that Drake? I can't really remember. It was Drake. Yeah, of it, was Drake. it was Drake. Okay, <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks. Thank Drake. you so much, Jimmy from DeGrassi, for your input. Um, I think that this year has shown us that the the mental health hazards of loneliness are enormous. I experienced loneliness during the pandemic. Many of us did. And why deny yourself the joy and the connection of friendship, no matter in what form it comes? There's no upside to loneliness and there's no downside to trying to meet new folks online. I've for sure had my own moments of saying, forget it. I'll stick with the friends I have, even if they're not nearby. I don't know if I went to the extreme of no new friends, but I definitely denied myself some moments of joy and connection. Aminati made this great point. The thing that most people are trying to solve for in making new friends is that they feel lonely, you know, or they feel like they don't have the kind of friendships they're looking for. But it's also possible that that loneliness is actually just like a gap of communication with the community that they have right now. When we looked into all of the research about like the so-called loneliness epidemic, 
it wasn't about um, people saying they had fewer friends than at any time in the past. Like, in fact, it's remained pretty consistent. What has changed is that people feel this gap between the closeness that they want to feel or think they should feel in those friendships and then what they actually feel day to day. It's really about expectations. And that's what's sort of making people feel lonely, not literal number of friends. If you are expecting that your friendship will be easy and she just gets me and you might have moments of chemistry like that. But if you're trying to sustain something long term, it's not going to be easy. That's Danielle again. They surveyed a bunch of women and they asked them, do you believe that friendship should be easy and organic or do you think you should have to work on it? And they followed the women over five years and they checked back in with them rather. And the women who said that friendship should be easy were reporting greater feelings of loneliness than the women who said that they expect you'll have to work in it. And so literally if we're going into it thinking it's supposed to be easy and then we run anytime it gets weird or awkward or hard, um, then we're going to be starting from scratch every day. We all have this idea i don't know where we learn it like maybe on the playground or something that making friends is really easy and that someone will always just like appear out of thin air and say i want to be your friend everyone wants to be invited but no one wants to do the inviting and part of having friends is you have to do the work and aminatu and Anne are no strangers to putting in the work Their friendship hit a snag, and I wondered when they realized there was a problem, how they got to therapy as part of the solution, and how it helped. Big questions. Um, And I was like, I'm going to make you answer first so that I can be the voice of the fact. Yes! Oh my God, let's do it. Side note, you'll notice fact-checking comes up a lot in our conversations. Let's do it. Let's switch roles. Let's do it. I was feeling neglected as the lead, you know? Mm, thanks mm. this is why this friendship works radical honesty mm-hmm. yeah and also no one wants to carry the burden of either going first or being the fact checker full-time let's be real uh it had become very apparent to both of us that things were not good and by the time we were considering therapy that was something that we had openly acknowledged to each other like hey things aren't great or we want to feel kind of like connected or like feel like we're communicating the truth of our existences to each other and for some reason it feels like that just can't happen um and we went through a long period of thinking that we could just fix it on our own you know like that that saying that we both recognized there was a problem here was enough. And I, I, I certainly remember like those conversations where we could both acknowledge it, feeling some level of relief, like, oh, okay, like we're both naming this thing that we have both privately been wrestling with, the sense of growing distance. Um, but then it also became clear as even more time went on that saying it and identifying it and really just wanting to fix things was not enough. And like for us, in order to really talk about the ways that we'd hurt each other, we we kind of needed a professional in the room to help us. And um, I don't think that uh, we thought that it was normal or totally chill to go to therapy with a friend. I think it felt very extreme. It certainly felt expensive. It was disruptive. Um, it was It was difficult. And it also is something that undoubtedly allowed us to stay in this friendship and remain a part of each other's lives and kind of accept the ways in which we are fundamentally different and the ways that our friendship now is is very, very different from when we first met at that TV viewing party. Fact check. Wow. The fact check is like generally good. 
I will just say that you are very measured about all of this. And I just want to emphasize how like it was awful. It was really like like the way that we tell the story now is clearly like measured and we feel fine. No, it was like this. Like it would make me feel sick to my stomach every day. Like it was not um, this was not just some like, a you know, really adult, like level headed people going like, OK, we're in a fight, but we don't know what to do. It was really just disruptive and and gross and also very isolating you know when you're in this like long-term kind of process with someone where it doesn't feel good but you're not quite agreed on what doesn't feel good and then you think that when you name it the relief that you said and like fact check true like it was like oh yeah relief we're, we're finally acknowledging to each other that things are bad but then that brings a realization that just acknowledging it also doesn't automatically make it better one thing that I realized is that I thought that the minute that it got this bad, you were just supposed to like eject from the plane and go like, okay, like this is not how friendship is supposed to feel. This is not, you know, like I'm not supposed to have these feelings about someone. And it was just this real realization of like, no, actually, if you are committed to knowing someone intimately, it might get really hard and it might get really bad. And also um, only two people can fix a friendship. So even if I had wanted to and Anne had not wanted to, we would not be friends and vice versa. And I think that the process of figuring out that we were going to therapy, that to me like was in some ways like the hardest part of the process where you're just like, ah, like this is bad, but somehow we're talking about fixing it. Like we're making a therapy appointment together. We're like, you know, like that, that to me felt like literally just out of my mind. I couldn't believe that it was, it was like watching yourself do something that you've never done before. But the thing that I left, like all of the therapy experience, like struck by also is how much like there should be a community model for this, you know, where I was like, Oh, what would this have looked like if we had somewhere in our community or someone in our community that we could go to and say, hey, you know the both of us really well and we're having a really hard time and like, can we talk to you about it? And we don't have good cultural scripts for what people are supposed to do in those situations. And I was convinced that we would not be friends after it. But if you have the kind of big friendship that we say that we have, part of it is working through these things. The conversation with Anne and Aminatu illuminated a lot. We talked about the stigma between friendship therapy over couples therapy, how so often the focus is on our romantic relationships when it's been proven that our platonic relationships are just as, if not more, important. So if we shift the focus to the one really being our friends, what does that look like? When do we know we've reached that point? And how do we title these people that have such an impact on our lives and our well-being? We're all looking for friends who get us. We want friends who show up for us. But friendship is, you know, are you ready to show up for others? Are you ready to sometimes be inconvenienced? Are you ready to be a listener? Um, because it, it, it really has to be reciprocal. I'll just say, I think we need to examine how we use best friend. I've used it, my friends use it, you know, it's super common. But I've noticed that there are sometimes problems when the person who we positioned as best friend, well, now we have these expectations that go along with it. We won't verbalize them, but secretly we expect like, okay, well, you need to be the person who shows up for me and you need to be available when I want to talk and you need to be able to know the right things to say. And if you start spending a lot of time with this other woman, then I'm going to feel a little threatened by that because you're supposed to be my best friend. So, you know, I just like using the phrase, you know, 
friend or she's one of my good friends. You know, I've been uh, toying around a lot with the idea of, you know, collective versus singular love. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if some of us would experience more joy and fulfillment from our friendships if we looked at them almost like from an aerial view and said, you know, when I look down at all of these friendships collectively, man, I have everything I need as opposed to having a lot of expectations for this one person to fulfill. Aminatu and Anne agree so much that they've coined their own phrase. Big friendship is a term we invented, <laughs> frankly. Um, <laughs> fact check, correct. Fact check. Um, uh, to describe a kind of relationship that maybe in the past we would have called best friend or like even BFF. You know, the terms that existed before big friendship are kind of like cutesy or maybe a little like young for the kind of actual committed friendship dynamic that we're talking about here. And so a big friendship is one that has lasted a long time, that has maybe endured some big changes or shifts and difficulties that involves both people showing up and really giving of themselves and being vulnerable and making an effort to know and be known. Um, and it really is a very different category than a friendship that is maybe great, but kind of hasn't been tested yet, is brand new, or, you know, really distinct from a kind of long running acquaintanceship, or maybe an old friend from childhood that you're not actively investing in or keeping up with. We really wanted this category to acknowledge that um, friendship is a super broad word that we currently use to apply to all kinds of different relationships, right? Like, and, and we wanted to make a distinction that when we talk about this kind of investment, we are talking about a specific kind of friendship that merits it. I think that distinction from best friend, big friend, just a friend is really important. And the new words sprouting to help us define these relationships are crucial in setting boundaries and managing expectations. Claire reminds us that Bumble's own founder has stuck to this as their mission. All relationships have to be equitable to be healthy. And that's all relationships. That's, just, that's not just romance and love. That is friendship. That is, uh, you know, your mentor in your career. That is your colleagues. So that has certainly been at the center from day one. And I think beyond a meet cute, that is what I will look for in all my future relationships, be it romantic, big friendship, or otherwise. Relationships have to be equitable to be healthy. And if we treated our friendships even remotely the way we did our romantic relationships, I think we'd all be better off. Today, I'm thankful for each and every one of my friends, especially the ones that helped put this episode together, which was produced by Ella Dove, Kate Spees, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share with your very own friends. On today's show, you heard from Anne Friedman, Aminatou So, Danielle Baird Jackson, and Claire O'Connor. You can find links to all of their work and their handles in the show notes. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Special thanks to Jess Friedman, Ali Short, Jen Snyder, and Cassie Wolfe.